I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning and welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. Thanks for joining me today, little rebel outpost of freedom. Um, plenty to get to today. We're going to take advantage of the reason for the season over the past week. I'm going to dovetail a little bit on my show from last Thursday, but bear with me. Bear with me. Ran across some interesting quotes of the day that will lead me into that. Uh, I, I wanted to mention one thing. I, I actually have been in Wisconsin recently. Uh, really very interesting state uh, in some of the smaller towns close to Milwaukee, but not actually in the city. So kind of in the suburbs, really very similar. Has a bit of a New England feel to me, uh, but the weather was beautiful. But, um, you know, the South is known as where the nice people are. And and Mississippi in particular, I believe, is still refers to itself as the hospitality state. I will tell you, the people in Wisconsin may be some of the nicest people I've ever met. A lot more friendly than I was expecting up north, and and I got to tell you, I think the South needs to needs to step up its game. But what really struck me, what really struck me up in uh, Wisconsin in these areas, the age of the homes in the areas that I was in that were very very nice areas. I saw a lot of homes from the nineteen forties. 1950s, 60s, 70s, many, many older homes here, they were immaculate. And it really struck me because, you know, we've seen a lot, uh, particularly in the Jackson area in the state of Mississippi. Now, this is not exclusive of all areas. If you go into Fondren, you go into Bellhaven, you're going to see some beautiful homes that have been so well maintained over the years. But we seem to have, we seem to have had an issue (laughs) kind of maintaining current areas. And it just was really interesting to me to drive down a street to see these really small homes, some of them just basically rectangles with a basement, and their properties were kept up so well. The siding, everything was clean. There was no trash on the roads, no nothing. And it was just very, it just showed me what was possible. We don't have to move as soon as somebody something gets old. It just takes a little bit of doing, I guess, to actually maintain maintain a property over the course of years to maintain a good, vibrant, stable neighborhood. It'd be very interesting. I didn't do a deep dive into the local economy or into the schools. I would imagine that may be that may be where they've had some success. Maybe they've got good schools, and since the schools kept up and made it an attractive place to keep your children maybe people didn't feel the need to flee. 
It's really interesting when you look at the way Jackson has moved in a lot of cases, I believe at the core of that is not only huge taxes, not only terrible government in the city of Jackson, but it's also the declining schools that force people to go out and try to find schools where they could send their children uh, in a nice neighborhood. So anyway, just very interesting. I'm just saying it can be done, can be done. Uh, quotes of the day today. This first one, I'm going to do this one today, but I've got another show planned that I may do. Uh, I may do this one again, but I'm a Thomas Sowell fan. And uh, this is one of his quotes. Thomas Sowell said, quote, as long as human beings are imperfect, there will always be arguments for extending the power of government to deal with these imperfections. The only logical stopping place is totalitarianism, unless we realize that tolerating imperfections is the price of freedom. Amen, Brother Soul. Uh, I think of that one largely in terms of <laughs> everything. You understand that the government always tells you that it's going to solve your problems, and right and left, they find behaviors that they don't agree with or they wouldn't want to participate in. They're so ready to create a government to outlaw those particular things. You have to understand, we're all people. It doesn't matter how much government you have. I believe the more government you have, the further you get from a perfect society, but it's never going to be perfect. And that's one of the things libertarians say. I certainly have said it on this show. We ain't promising you any kind of perfection. We're just trying to get you some freedom. We'll figure out the rest. Hans Hermann Hoppe said this, quote, What is true, just, and beautiful is not determined by popular vote. The masses everywhere are ignorant, short-sighted, motivated by envy and easy to fool. Democratic politicians must appeal to these masses in order to be elected. Whoever is the best demagogue will win. Almost by necessity, then, democracy will lead to the perversion of truth, justice, and beauty. Unfortunate, but true. Let's see what else I had here. Oh, well, yeah, as we get into our first topic of today's show, I wanted to read this quote. This is a quote by Woodrow Wilson back in 1919. You have heard me talk endlessly during my time at WIEB about the Federal Reserve. Don't, don't, don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. Don't let your eyes glaze over. I'm going to let you listen to what the president, President Woodrow Wilson, said back in 1919, the Federal Reserve taking root, that evil plant taking root back in 1913. This is what Woodrow Wilson said about the Federal Reserve. He said, quote, I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is now controlled by its system of credit. We are no longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. Over a hundred years ago, the president who signed the Federal Reserve into, into reality, he knew within just a couple of years what a monumental mistake he has made, uh, and we find ourselves where we are now. And last quote of the day, this is getting kind of long, but I, <laughs> I tell you, when I only do two hours a week, it means I got a lot of time. I got five other days of the week where I am running across uh, what I believe are very important quotes. They're concepts, you understand? I'm trying to introduce concepts and let you hear from some of the great thinkers. I'm not the great thinker. These, these people, in their pithy ways, are able to say 
what it takes me hours to say. Uh, Lysander Spooner said this. He said, every man who puts money into the hands of a government puts into its hands a sword, which will be, uh, excuse me. Every man who puts money into the hands of a government puts into its hands a sword which will be used against himself to extort more money from him and to keep him in subjection to its arbitrary will. Yeah, that's what's leading us into. While I've got you fresh off of uh, what, what the, uh, our loving government gave us till what? Was it Tuesday? They extended the tax deadline till Tuesday. So I thought we would honor that act of real kindness uh, by just focusing just a tad bit in here. Uh, I did my show last week leading in my annual my annual Rage Against the Machine uh, episode of the Mike Madison Show. If you didn't hear it, if you want to hear it, if you want to hear somebody blister the U.S. tax system and the Internal Revenue Service, go find the podcast for the Mike Madison Show. You'll find it somewhere. It's on a bunch of different podcast platforms. And listen to last Thursday's show where I believe I titled it, Stop! Thief! Uh, anyway, Thomas D J. DiLorenzo said this. He said, the biggest roadblock to middle-class economic advancement is that governments confiscate more than a third of all family income. Each year, the average American taxpayer works 127 days from January 1st until May 7th, just to pay taxes. I told you, I, I feel like people are a little vulnerable now. You know, if you're trying to attract a girl away from her boyfriend, right after the boyfriend's done something really crummy, yeah, that's your time to pounce, right? Well, this is, uh, this is my time to pounce. And, and if you stop and think about that, you know, a lot of us talk about this idea of the declining middle class, the dying middle class, more people are falling out of the middle class. They're not moving up. They're falling under the middle class. You want to fix it fast? End the income tax, end the IRS, end the Federal Reserve. And I cannot begin to tell you how dramatically all of our lives would improve and how the financial standing of hundreds of millions of Americans would turn on a dime. And that brought me to to this point. What percentage of your labor, if it is confiscated from you, what percentage equals slavery? Now, that may be, some people might take some offense to that, but just bear with me. I'm going to take a break here and we're going to examine this just a little bit because wasn't slavery based on robbing a human being of his labor? That's the basis of the whole system, isn't it? Well, let's take a look at it, and you can tell me. You can tell me what is that dividing line between when you're a slave and when you're not. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stick around. I was born a shotgun in my hands Behind the gun I'll make my final stand just now off of we're still in the week of when everybody had to line up the sheep had to line up to be sheared by the IRS now I know it's probably a lot of people some people rush to get their taxes done uh, but this is the deadline it's uh 
just this arbitrary date that the government has decreed. So I will use it as the same arbitrary date where I, where I just pile on and try to free the mind of the American people when it comes to this tax system. I'm not going to spend the whole show on it like I did on Thursday, but I had a couple of things uh, to take a look at. You know, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people, they, they line up, they want to go out and they want to file their taxes because they're getting a refund. There's whole industries out there. The car industry, I know, does a lot around refund days. Well, listen to this. Think about this for just a second. The Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, announced Wednesday that over a million Americans have unclaimed tax refunds for the tax year 2019 and face a looming deadline to claim a total of $1.5 billion before it becomes government property. The IRS said in a press release that nearly 1.5 million people across the United States have unclaimed refunds because they haven't filed their tax returns for the 2019 tax year. Quote, the 2019 tax returns came due during the pandemic and many people may have overlooked or forgotten about these refunds. That's what the IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel said in the statement. Quote, we want taxpayers to claim these refunds, but time is running out. Normally, the deadline for filing older tax returns falls around the April tax deadline, but for 2019 returns, that window had been extended to July 17th due to the pandemic. So, as a thinking slave on this plantation, let, let, me, let me just process exactly what they're saying. Uh, if you do not claim your overpayment or your refund, money that you gave the government that you did not owe the government, uh, they'll give you four years. They'll give you four years, and after that, your time's run out. That becomes government property. Now, when you when you owe the IRS, I believe it's a minimum, I'm pretty sure it may be seven years. Seven years, and, and something sticks in my brain, ten years, there's some ten-year thing too, but I know seven years they can go back and find the money that you owe them. So they give you four years to get your money. They give themselves seven years to get theirs. Now it gets even better. If they find that you owe them money from four years ago, five years ago, six years, any, any time in the past, you are going to give them their money with a nice little interest payment. If you give the mon government money that they don't uh, deserve, well, we all give them. We all give the government money they don't deserve. If you give the uh, government money that you weren't supposed to give them or were not obligated to give them, well, again, I'm repeating myself. Not obligated to give them anything, but anyway, I digress. Uh, they give it back to you with zero interest. They get seven years to go back and take money from you. You get four years to get your own money back from them. If you owe them money, you have to pay them interest. If they owe you money, they pay you no interest. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, I'm going to move on in a minute because I know this makes people uncomfortable to be reminded what docile, cowardly people we are. But I, I just, as a thought experiment, as a thought experiment, uh, if, you, if you take the, the average slave around the world, now I don't make this a black-white thing, I was read over the years, there were whites sold into slavery, blacks sold into slavery, Arabs sold into slavery, Asians sold. This is a an institution that went on for thousands and thousands of years, and thanks to U.S. foreign policy, is taking place in open slave markets in Libya right now. 
<laughs> when we turned it into a failed state. They've got open-air slavery uh, auctions uh, in, Liber in Lib uh, Libya. Uh, but anyway, if you consider taking, you know, really, when you have a slave, you don't get all their labor, right? I mean, they've got to, you know, they've got to shower themselves. They've got to fix their hair. They've got to, you know, maybe cook dinner for the other slaves. They, they do some other things. But let's just, so what do you, what would a slave owner take in terms of labor from their slave? 90%, 80%? You know, that, that's, that's putting them out into the fields or into the, the lithium mines where the slaves work right now to fund this push towards electric vehicles. Have you, have you ever seen these open-air pits in Africa where these people... There was a video the other day where there was a collapse in one of these lithium mines. I believe it was a lithium mine. And, and some of these heroic people, and I mean that quite sincerely, there's a video I can't doesn't have good audio to it, but the exit to the the tunnel that they had built had been collapsed on. And one guy was going in there as a landslide was continuing to happen. Big boulders were coming down this slope towards this person. He was ducking those things and then trying to scoop the dirt out of the mine's entrance. And he would reach in there and he'd grab an arm and this person would pop out. And the crowd around would cheer. And he would duck a few more big boulders coming down. There's a couple of guys doing this. And then they would dig, 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 dig. And then they would pull another arm out. They pulled like 14 people out. It's an amazing video to see. Uh, this is created by those people who are trying to push us to our all-electric future to save the planet. They don't mind sacrificing probably a few thousand, uh, a few thousand Africans a year. You know, you know, it's all for the greater good and all, right? Of course. Anyway... Back to my point. Um, so if a slave owner took 80% of a slave's labor, saving the other 20% for him to live his life and, and do the things that he did off duty, um, what is that line? What, what is that line that says you're no longer a slave? You're, you're a free human being. What if they took 70% or 50%? Right now, as we sit, government in all of its glorious forms, from federal, state, and local, take about 50% of your money. Is that still slavery? 40%? Would that be considered slavery? I mean, technically, you just heard, uh, you just heard Thomas DeLorenzo say, look, you work 127, we, maybe we're only slaves for the first 127 days of the year, and then we become free human beings. Maybe that's the way we should look at it. So hang in there, ladies and gentlemen. You only got a few more weeks to freedom. But I've always actually, I've always actually figured uh, I like the sharecropper comparison a little bit better. Now I wanted to read this. Uh, this this is uh, actually an attribute the site, but it's talking about the Thirteenth Amendment uh, that freed the slaves. On December 6, 1865, the United States ratified the 13th Amendment. Now, I want you to listen to this. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime wherever the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude. Hmm. I'm out. 
I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just, is, is working 50% of the year so that you can give the, you can pay your tribute to the state feels a little involuntary servitude-ish to me. You know, just a little bit. But I, I have always liked the sharecroppers comparison a little bit better. And I, so I wanted to read this. Uh, sharecropping was an economic system that existed before the Civil War and throughout the world. Both white and African Americans became sharecroppers. This system was comprised of sharecroppers renting farmable land from farmers such as plantation owners who owned large patches of land. In addition to this land, sharecroppers rented supplies and equipment from the farmer to work the land. Usually cash crops like tobacco and cotton were grown. Depending on the contract, the sharecropper gave half of their harvest or half of the proceeds from selling their harvest to the farmer in lieu of rent. From the remaining proceeds, the sharecropper paid back the sum of the rented supplies and equipment, usually with interest. Any leftover income was kept by the sharecropper. Now again, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, <clears throat> if the definitions of slavery, if the definition of sharecropper doesn't make you feel a, a tad bit uneasy at this point, looking back on just this past week as you were forced to submit to the system, I'm not quite sure why it doesn't make you feel at least a little icky. I'll be right back. A little bit of loneliness, a little bit of disregard, handful of complaints, but I can't help the fact that everyone can see these scars. What I want you to want, what I want you to feel, but it's like no matter what I do, I can't convince you to just believe this is real. So let go, I'm watching you, turn your back like you always do, face away and pretend that I'm not, but I'll be here because you're all that I got. I can't. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. Thanks for joining me today. I'm going to move on. Let's see. I've already hit uh, <laughs> I hit a little bit of the drug war. I hit the Federal Reserve and I hit the income tax. I'm playing all the hits today, uh, but I'm going to move on. A little bit of social commentary slash hypocrisy. Anyway, let's just look at this. Uh, I wanted to... I want to talk a little bit about the Bud Light situation. Now, understand, I've only got these two hours. They're separated by a week. I'm a little behind the news cycle, but I, I do find things interesting. And it, it, it's actually maybe a little bit more interesting to report on these things with a little bit of distance, a little bit of time to absorb exactly what goes on, because what happens and then the reaction to it is equally as interesting to me as the actual event itself. And, of course, I'm talking about them putting this... Uh, uh, Dylan Mulvaney, whatever their name is, on the can. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. I, I kept hearing people talk about it costing Bud Light or Anheuser-Busch $4 billion. And I didn't really know what that meant. And I kept asking people, is that sales or is that in the stock price? Because, I mean, if it's the stock price, stocks go up, stocks go down. And then I ran across this statistic. If true, and I've not been able to actually independently verify it, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't even try. But this was just kind of interesting. This is the thing that I'm more interested in. What has happened to Bud Light sales? And one person is reporting that I saw that Bud Light sales are down 70. That's 70, 70%. That's pretty stunning. You know, this may be the biggest brand faux pas 
the biggest screw-up to have ever happened to corporate America, and they've had some doozies in the past. But if true, Bud Light sales down 70% is quite amazing. Now, I can't help but think about all the poor distributors in all of these markets. They are just absolutely getting creamed. I heard Clay Edwards talking about that a little bit. It's nothing against these distributors. They are independent business people in each state. They have this distributorships that they have other brands. And it would be within their purview or maybe ours to say, oh, go look at it. I think it's Southern Beverage that does the Budweiser products here. It's not their fault what some nut job in New York ad agency decided to hire this influencer with the sign off by this equity person at Bud Light. It was also interesting. Did you see this? that the CEO of Bud Light who put out the non-apology apology, people started looking at his uh, good-looking guy, yeah, good-looking guy. Someone started doing a little bit of research into his background, and I think they posted his LinkedIn profile or his bio from somewhere. Yeah, he did a little time with the CIA. Just saying again, <laughs> you know, just saying, I'm a coincidence theorist here on this show. I'm just saying. Uh, but... Uh, Go find some other beers that some of these distributors sell and, you know, help these guys out. Of course, yeah, other companies are benefiting from this colossal screw-up by Bud Light. I like the pushback. I like people using their patronage as a vote. Of course, we do have to wrestle a tad bit with this feeling a little, it, it just, again, I'm an observer. It looks a little, it's a little cancel culture-y, right? Can we at least admit that? We're trying to cancel a brand because they did something we don't like. I'm just saying, I'm not against it. I like the pushback. Using your dollars as votes, I think is a fantastic, that's a free market way to hold people accountable for things you don't like. But let's just all be a little realistic here. A lot of people that have been screaming about cancel culture are now wanting to cancel Bud Light because they did something that they don't like. I think you're well within your right to do that, but just remember your gut reaction when you saw something you didn't like was to immediately call for the firing of the of the trans guy, guy gal, whatever. And it, it, you know, I'm just saying, we all kind of have these impulses. So I just always find that interesting to do. What I find most interesting about this, though, is I've had a chance over the past week, which is an important week each year that I recognize, why do the people always exercise this muscle, uh, the, the outrage, the action. You saw Kid Rock blowing up uh, using a, I don't know, AR-15 or what he was using, but he blew apart a case of Bud Light. Very, very visually stunning, very good message for the people who were equally ticked off by what uh, Anheuser-Busch did. But why do we use this muscle, this outrage, and create these kinds of movements on the most inane, least consequential things. So a beer brand really ticked you off. I found it annoying too. I'm not a Bud Light drinker anyways. It doesn't really affect me that much, but as a cultural issue, I'm, I'm with you. They're pushing this stuff in your face and it was too far. Now I do believe that this person was hired, this Dylan Mulvaney, am I already saying the name right? I don't care. But I think they were just hired like an influencer. I don't know that they were a brand spokesman. or I could even be wrong about that. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I don't even know why I'm talking about it. I'm just saying the outrage about this was 
something to behold. And if bud sales are down 70%, that's a lot of people acting, taking action. Yet, yet, while we focus in on this alcoholic beverage company, this one singular beer brand, we are sitting in the midst of a country where we have a massively corrupt government that has murdered millions of people. It steals half of your wealth every single year and crickets. I should, uh, if I had more energy, I'd, I'd edit some cricket chirping sounds in there. You, you think about the corruption and the true problems that we have in this country right now, no energy for that. I can't build a movement on that. Smarter, more popular uh, people out there can't build a movement around uh, these other things. But boy, if Nike hires somebody or Bud Light hires somebody, people will take off Nikes and they'll burn them in the, in the fire pit and they'll post it to social media and it'll go viral. Kid Rock can shoot up a case of Bud Light for things that have really zero impact on your life. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be ticked off at Anheuser-Busch. I'm with you. I think it's gross and annoying and just, I'm really, I'm with you. Psychologically, I'm with you. But I just wonder why it is that we are, are we just lazy? We just need the easiest stuff and we need to just hide when it comes to the hard issues. Seriously, you just went through a week where the government just came to you and forced you to give them for many of you, a third to half of your income, not a peep, not a word, not a movement, not a viral video, absolutely nothing. And there are some seriously consequential problems out there, things we should, I don't know, probably be dealing with, some places we should really be putting our foot down. Unfortunately, it's just... It's too hard. It really is just too hard. Turning your back on a beer brand, and, and spoiler alert, vast majority of people, they'll be buying Bud Light in six weeks. Once the hubbub is down, once people aren't paying attention to it, once we're on to the next thing, oh, they'll be buying Bud Light again. And we will have hurt them and maybe stopped the ridiculous. This could be even a turning point. I'm not saying there's anything inconsequential about this particular thing culturally, and I understand the pushback. I want to make sure people understand this. I'm not really criticizing people for the pushback against this. I'm just asking, where is it for the big issues? And I can't help but put this in there too. <laughs> I can't help but put this in there too. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., Donald Trump Jr. called on conservatives to end their boycott of Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch, as many on the right have expressed outrage at the company for partnering with transgender women. The former president's son spoke on the show, quote, triggered with Don Jr., unquote, quote, this is Don Jr. says, quote, I'm not for destroying an American, an iconic company for something like this, he said. Now, first of all, Many of us know there's a problem with that. Uh, Anheuser-Busch is now owned by, is it MBEV? I believe they're a Spanish company they're from Spain, or uh, are they another, uh, another Dutch company? Anyway, uh, Anheuser-Busch was bought out as no longer, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're owned by a foreign company, number one. Uh, but I'm going to go out on a limb here. 
and say that uh, Anheuser-Busch is a contributor to the Trump campaign now and probably in the past and probably to the Republican Party, too. I've seen headlines that say that the Republican Party itself is saying, hey, can we just give Budweiser a pass? <laughs> can we just turn it down a little bit? I'm saying turn it up on other things. I don't really care how this Bud Light thing plays out. It's just interesting to me. It's a psychological thing. We were so easy to motivate on the easy stuff, the burning of the Nike sneakers. Uh, I'm saying turn up the outrage on other things. Focus this energy. If we had the energy, if we took the energy from something like this and put it where it matters, we might actually change things. But I will say the Republicans, in all of their air quotes here in the studio, principles, I believe they'd largely take a back seat when it comes to the donor class, and I think this is a great example of that. All the way down to Donald Trump Jr. I'll be right back. Maybe I'm the one, maybe I'm the one who is a schizophrenic psycho, yeah. Maybe I'm the one, maybe I'm the one who is a schizophrenic psycho. All right, final segment for today. I wanted to mention this. been kind of dragging it for a couple of weeks, but I find it very interesting. There is a new entrant for the presidency on the Democratic side. What's going to be most interesting about this is how will the Democrats steal the nomination for Joe Biden? I, I still cannot believe that this man is seriously contemplating running again. But of course, uh, never underestimate the stupidity and the corruption of the Democratic National uh, Party. But... Uh, It'll be interesting to see how they steal this. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has announced that he is going to be running for president. I don't know if he's done his uh, formal announcement yet, but he has pretty much said, uh, come listen to me in Boston. He's from Massachusetts. Uh, come listen to me in Boston, and I will be announcing for presidency. So the question is, how will the Democrats steal uh, this from him? Because I certainly believe that, uh, that Kennedy, RFK, Despite his unfortunate voice malady, he certainly uh, intellectually would wipe the floor with Joe Biden. So it'll be interesting to see how they keep him out. They are already, and I'll play a clip in just a second, they're already working towards those ends. But Robert F. Kennedy is an interesting guy. He certainly has been right. He's been great on things like vaccines, uh, and not just around COVID, but especially during the time of COVID. He's been censored. He's got all the right enemies. This is one of the big judgments of Donald Trump. Trump has all the right enemies. Well, uh, the Kennedys, the Kennedys have got a pretty long record of having people who obviously really fear them. And so Robert F. Kennedy is a, in a long line of those. Um, I wanted to read a couple of tweets that Kennedy put out. Uh, here is one he put out. He said, the Fed just announced it will introduce its new FedNow central bank digital currency in July. CBDCs grease the slippery slope to financial slavery and political tyranny. While cash transactions are anonymous, a CBDC will allow the government to surveil all of our private financial affairs. The central bank will have the power to enforce dollar limits on our transactions, restricting where you can send money, where you can send it, spend it, and when money expires, 
A CBDC tied to digital ID and social credit score will allow the government to freeze your assets or limit your spending to approved vendors if you fail to comply with arbitrary diktats, i.e. vaccine mandates. The Fed will initially limit its CBDC to interbank transactions, but we should not be blind to the obvious danger that this is the first step in banning and seizing Bitcoin as the Treasury did with gold 90 years ago today in 1933. He concludes, watch as governments, which never let a good crisis go to waste, use COVID-19 and the banking crisis to usher in a new wave of CBDCs as a safe haven from germ-laden paper currencies or as a protection against bank runs. So that is RFK Jr. calling out uh, these CBDCs, the true disaster, something that's truly dangerous to all of us. He also sent this tweet out too. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy sent this out. He said, The collapse of U.S. influence over Saudi Arabia and the kingdom's new alliances with China and Iran are painful emblems of the abject failure of the neocon strategy of maintaining U.S. global hegemony with aggressive projections of military power. China has displaced the American empire by deftly projecting instead economic power. Over just the past decade, our country has spent trillions bombing roads, ports, bridges, and airports, China spent the equivalent building the same across the developing world. The Ukraine war is the final collapse of the neocons' short-lived American century. The neocon projects in Iraq and Ukraine have cost $8.1 trillion, hollowed out our middle class, made us a laughingstock, uh, uh, made a laughingstock of U.S. military power and moral authority, pushed China and Russia into an invincible alliance, destroyed the dollar as the global currency, cost millions of lives, and done nothing to advance democracy or win friends, uh, friendships or influence. I got to tell you, those are a couple of home-run tweets from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, I do have some concerns about the man. Um, he has been a bit of a climate hysteric, which I really find interesting. When he sees the con job that was COVID and the the absolute pearl-clutching and the way they freaked out about this cold, this flu, can he not make the stretch, make the logical conclusion that these same people who ran the COVID regime are the same people running the climate regime? He's not gotten there yet, I don't think. That's a little bit concerning. Now, he has been good about fighting pollution, polluted waterways, uh, things that just about 98% of the American people oppose, which is pollution and degrading our planet. But when it comes to the climate stuff, I'm going to have to really take a close look at exactly where he stands on that. But when it comes to having uh, the right enemies, uh, RFK certainly has those as well, notwithstanding the fact that his uncle and his father were murdered by our own government because they were actually a threat to the system. I think that's kind of how you know that maybe they are a serious threat to the powers that be when they murder them. Uh, much different than just, well, a couple of impeachments, a bogus indictment. I think if the powers that be really fear somebody, they take it to its logical end. Uh, let me play this clip real quick just to show you that he also has the right enemies in the American media. This is how Jake Tapper Jake Dapper on CNN announced the news of Robert F. Kennedy running for president. This just into CNN. 
Anti-vaccine quack Robert F. Kennedy Jr. <laughs> has filed paperwork with the Federal Election Commission to run for president as a Democrat. In launching his presidential bid, Kennedy is the latest in a long line of family members to enter politics. Uh, so far, only Marion Will Williamson, who last month launched her second long shot campaign, has entered the Democratic primary against Biden. Kennedy is such a health care menace. In 2019, even his cousins wrote an op-ed criticizing his anti-science views on life-saving vaccines. Coming up next, well, there this you go. is just into CNN. And that, and that is your, uh, there's your objective media right there, just reporting the facts, ladies and gentlemen. Jake Tapper, what a scumbag. Uh, anyway, going to be interesting to watch RFK Jr. That's all the time I got today. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.